This is Riveting, a Portland Thorns podcast. I'm Jeanette Hamster, your host, and I'm joined by John Laws. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm here with my little buddy, Little Bit, the podcast. Hello, Little Bit, the podcast. She's doing some critical licking right now, so she just can't. Oh, <laughs> we'll leave her to it. And also joined by Richard Budweiser Hamji. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? Doing all right. I'm not as depressed as I thought I would be or should be after what's not happened on Sunday. I, I'm not clicking my heels and jumping for joy, but uh, I'm not personally feeling devastated. So. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I'm sorry we didn't win, but I mean, I'm not brokenhearted. So let's talk about that. We're recording tonight. It's Monday. Last night was the semifinal. Portland Thorns against the Chicago Red Stars. John, both you and Richard predicted a 1-0 win for the Thorns, but it ended up being a 2-0 loss for the Thorns. The thing is that we knew, you knew, I knew, Mark Parsons knew, the Portland Thorns knew what Rory Dance was going to do. He was going to sit in a low block. He was going to dare the thorns to come at him and he was going to hope to nick a crab goal on the counter well we threw at the kitchen sink at him we had issues in midfield without Horan, but i mean we kept throwing the ball up to smith to try and make things happen weaver was doing all her usual you know exciting weaver things and we had like five or six shots on goal by the half hour and we got nothing and then on the other end the substitute for one of their hot players, Johnson, for, for Watt, goes down and basically puts the eight ball in the corner pocket in a shot that Bella Bixby saves 19 out of 20 times, and all of a sudden we're down a goal. It just seemed like once that happened, I just felt like there was no way we were going to be able to catch up. We needed one goal just to get to extra time, and I wasn't sure we were going to find it. And sure enough. Yeah, it's one of those deals where it's like, well, if you concede a goal – if you immediately get it back, you know, five minutes to get it back, then it's start over and everything. You can feel good about things. But after 10 or 15 minutes have gone by and you haven't even gotten close, it's like, well, this is not going to be good. You know, you could see it coming. It's hard to break down an opponent that's really playing a low block. And they, they were pressing well in midfield. I mean, they were dispossessing Salem. They were dispossessing Rodriguez. We weren't getting a lot of good movement. Everything was going down the flanks and, you know, we had to try and cross it in there, and they pretty much had that solidly covered. I mean, they're a good defensive team. I mean, Chicago's a solid team. I thought we'd have a better chance since Mal Pugh decided to do some strange thing, <laughs> not get vaccinated. They didn't have Pugh. We didn't have Haran. I'd say we missed uh, Haran more than they missed Pugh. It certainly looked that way, yeah. So it's interesting. There was an article in The Athletic by Steph Yang, and she interviewed Salem for us and... Was Salem for us, and was it, it Gotrat? Yes. Salem talked about how, and this was before the semifinal, but they seemed like Chicago was playing a 3-6-1. She said it was like they would play a 3-5-2 in the buildup and then a 3-6-1 defensively. Knowing that going in and then figuring out how to handle it were two different things. The rap on Coach Parsons when he came here, was that he was a nice guy, he was a player's coach, the players loved him, he always did well in regular season. 
And then you come to the postseason and things would fall apart. Two years in Washington, I, I'm not counting the first year because that really wasn't his team. But 2014 and 2015, he got the spirit to the semis and he got thumped by Seattle. You know, obviously his first year doesn't count here because we got mugged by Riley and, and Marco Vega. And he won in 2017, he won in 2018. Then 2019 and this year, we've had the same problems is we've come to a knockout game. It just seems like his strong point doesn't appear to be individual game planning. I mean, whether it's lineups, whether it's tactics. I mean, I didn't get a feeling that the Thorns really had a plan on Sunday. It just seemed to be kind of like, you know, throw the ball forward and let's see if something happens. And when you're playing an organized defense like Chicago, that's a big ask. Yeah, and this is a Chicago team without Julie Ertz. All season they've been without her. That was supposed to be their big weak point. Yeah, and it was for a while, but they figured it out. The thing is that Sarah Gordon and Tierna Davidson, that's who they had left. And once they got Davidson back from the Olympics, they were real solid in the back. Gordon is very fast and is apprenticed and learned her trade and knows what she should be doing. Davidson always did. It's a good, solid pair back there. Well, and their depth was impressive, too. I mean, they lost Kruger, and their fullbacks were solid. There was no weakness there. Like I say, they're a good team. I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons I don't feel so crushed is, you know, I feel like we we took a shot, and the better team won. You know, at least the better team won the day. Yeah, if we played them five times, maybe we would have won three. But on the day, yesterday, they were the better team. Bella Bixby tweeted that her father had died from suicide that week. I don't know how you play at that level with that kind of grief. I honestly don't know. I couldn't have done it. We talked about this, Richard, and and I think your point is valid. I think the thing that should have happened is the coach, Coach Parsons, should have sat her down and said, you need to grieve. You don't need the pressure. I'm going to bench you for this game. And he didn't do that. And, you know, as a result, the, you know, the poor woman had to be care- literally carried off the field just a tragedy. There is no good outcome from that. She's grown up, as all these players have, and coached since little kids to be tough, to suck it up. You can't show weakness. And that being human and having emotions is weakness. And so that's how she, like all sports kids, were raised. And I'm sure, anyway, I'm guessing here, but I'm, I bet I'm right. No, I'm sure you're right. Yeah, because I'm sure she would not have taken herself out of the line. There were people admiring her bravery and her strength afterwards for doing that. To me, I was sort of appalled by it. It's like, that's a terrible thing to do. I mean, sometimes you'll hear they'll say, oh, well, it was cathartic, or my dad would have wanted me to play the game or something. I don't buy it. I I feel like that's how you justify that maybe you don't want to grieve, you don't want to deal with things. You're just going to go out and do what you always do. We're not her. Maybe she is okay now or on the path to being okay. We, We don't know. I don't know. Hope she's getting all the love and support that she can. So we're out and Tacoma is out. And that's the only good thing about the semifinals is at least Tacoma's cheaters did not prosper. The French mercenaries can slink back to their master in Lyon and report they had absolutely nothing. Jack shit squat 
No shield, no star, no nothing. Yes, I'm just that petty. It was very entertaining to have something to feel good about on the day. <laughs> the Riveters were setting their drum up in the stadium while that game was being played on the board when it, it was early in the game yet. Uh, Rodman scored the equalizer to make it 1-1 in the first half, and they started hitting the drums even though they weren't all set up yet. <laughs> We're going to watch this on TV and have a good time, hope for the best, and yeah, it was great. I was thrilled. When the Jumbotron showed the final score, I got up and did my little butt wiggling happy dance. I was like, yep, we win or lose, at least you suckers ain't going. Yeah, like I said, I'm just that petty. They gave it their shot. It was a good game. Their XG was over three. Lisa May gave it a shot. Marison gave it a shot. You know, Fishlock, Rapino, they brought it, but they didn't bring it enough. For once, we're going to have a champion that's not going to be Portland or North Carolina. Or Kansas City. There's only been four teams ever win this thing, so it's going to be a fifth one now. I got to admit, and, and it has nothing to do with the fact that they beat us, but I'd really, really like to see Rory Games finally get the big casino. I mean, he's he's played his dues. I mean, how many times have they gone out in the semifinal? Four times? Five times? Yeah, I'd like to see them finally get the, the big money. Washington's got to be on a high. I mean, you talk about a team that's had everything go against them all season long, and and then they shoot themselves in the foot a few times, too. And so it's like two forfeits. Everything bad has happened to them. And yet here they are. And the giant killer, they got to be feeling really confident. And that doesn't mean they'll win, but they got to be feeling pretty good about themselves. And I got to say, I'm, I, this is one of the few non-Thorn finals that I'm actually in, interested to watch. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to this one. Both these teams have been to the final before. Red Stars last time, 19 and got lost 3 nothing, And then the... Washington got beat by Western New York. York. Double overtime. Back in 2016. Yeah, we were there. It was quite a fun game. I'll bet. Multiple comebacks in that game. Lead changes. Uh, it's a crazy yeah. game. I don't expect to see that in this game. I but, doubt it. I suspect we'll see a low-scoring game. But hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping it'll be fun, and, and I'm hoping Chicago will win. I hope all those Riveters who bought plane tickets got the fully refundable kind so they can get their money back. I wanted to circle back to our conversation the last time about Gavin Wilkinson and who knew what when. So I was looking back at the article in The Athletic and and the article says that Manashim and her partner wrote the email that she eventually sent out to Merritt Paulson, Gavin Wilkinson, the HR person, Nancy Garcia Ford, and Riley. She also then forwarded to Jeff Plush, who was the commissioner of the NWSL at the time. She didn't recall getting a reply from Paulson. Plush emailed her back twice. The first time was that same day, telling Shim that he would follow up with it soon. And then several days later, when and he said that he had spoken with Paulson and that the league was monitoring the Thorns investigation. Then Wilkinson emailed her on behalf of himself and Paulson and the email stated that they took her complaints seriously. Well, and, and Jeanette, I think that the important thing here was that when we discussed this the last time, I was the one who said that I did not think that Sinead Forelli had said anything. 
that was that was the 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 salient point was I said, yeah, I mean, we know that Shim brought this up in 2015, but I thought that Ferelli had not spoken until this year. So she had a 20 minute meeting with Garcia Ford. Farley detailed the incident with her self, Shim and Riley. And she also said that she saw the inappropriate pictures that Riley had sent to Shim and some of the text messages. She did tell at least part of her story in 2015. Yes. So Paulson and Wilkinson should have known that Riley was skeeving. And then what Garcia Ford told Shim was that they didn't find anything criminal and that Shim didn't have any corroborating evidence to back up her story because she had deleted the texts because Raleigh told her to delete those texts. He's a smart predator. Exactly. So it's clear that Wilkinson knew what was going on. At least he should have known. He'd heard enough that he should have suspected there was more. You can say, oh, it's consenting adults. But the point is that your coach is not in a consenting position with your players. Yeah. So that should have, that he should have lowered the boom right there. You know, Shim didn't have a conversation with any of them except for the HR person. Didn't she go to Wilkinson? No, Wilkinson called her into his office at the beginning of the season in 2015. And she thought he was calling her in to talk about the expansion draft. But instead, he brought up the, you know, we don't talk about our personal lives. It's the one where he said, don't be so gay. Okay, so that was the beginning of 2015. Right, it was a whole different thing. That was yeah. a whole different thing. But it set the stage for how uncomfortable she was during that year. The other thing is that she brought all this forth in September of 2015. The season was already over. Whether or not they considered her a unreliable narrator at that point, I don't know that that was the case because then she, as you said last time, John, she fell apart in 2016, but that was after yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I wish that they would release the full 2015 investigation, because we don't know exactly who heard what from who, you know, but I mean, it certainly sounds like based on what I'm hearing from you, Jeanette, Forelli did corroborate a lot of what Shim was saying. That My impression was that that didn't happen. It was just Shim in 2015, and nobody heard from Forelli until this year. The article's not really written chronologically and the, and there's no timeline in it it's really hard to sort out oh and the other thing i meant to mention was that alex morgan was not interviewed at all even though she had stated to them that she had knowledge of what was going on at, at the time from shim she talked with them right yeah she talked with shim and Farella. she tried to help shim find a confidential or find a way of reporting it anonymously didn't she have a bunch of people who were involved in the Borislow thing with the magic jack? Morgan, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think she saw this as an opportunity to help prevent someone else from having that same horrible experience. Well, and, you know, one of the interesting things that I've always thought about that whole thing, and this kind of comes back to Anger's statement, is that Abby Wambach was on that Magic Jack squad. And she has never, ever said anything bad about Borislow. She has stood up for him, which I think is really interesting. Because, of course, she was the big star on that Magic Jack squad. Right, 
Right. And, you know, like I said in the very beginning, when we first talked about this, someone like Riley is not going to go after the stars who don't need his help because his whole thing was based on he was going to help them become big stars. They were already stars. So they're not a good right. target for him. The, the Morgans and the Wombucks. Exactly. Right. Exactly. He needs a power imbalance and he has to create one. And that isn't going to happen with someone like Morgan. And that's his crime. Hopefully he's getting drunk at some dive bar in Liverpool. Long Island. Probably hanging out in his Long Island mansion where he used to take the teams for retreats. Can you imagine your coach taking you to his house for retreats? No, I can't imagine. I've never been in the position, so <laughs> no. Do you remember last time we were talking about Karina LeBlanc being hired and the fact that one of the first things that she had to do was help hire the new coach? And we were a little concerned that the coach hadn't been hired yet. No sooner had we talked about that, but The Athletic then released an article with resources giving Meg Lenahan the scoop that, in fact, the Thorns have hired a new coach, someone that Karina LeBlanc knows very well, her former teammate on the Canadian national team, Ryan Wilkinson, forever to be known as R.W. or... The good Wilkinson. The good Wilkinson, yes. DGW, the good Wilkinson. Yeah. Karina was actually a teammate of Wilkinson's at the Thorns. In addition to the national team, she was a Thorn for a day, and Karina was in goal those days. The coaching experience the good Wilkinson has, she came on as assistant coach for the Canadian national team, and then she coached some U-20s and U-17s. She came up against... Harvey in a CONCACAF game lost four to zero. So she has had a little bit of experience coaching a team against Laura Harvey, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, but these are national teams, though. These are national teams and junior teams. It's a coincidence. Crossing of paths. I wasn't trying to make any big deal about it. Okay. The the thing that I think she's going to have a tough time navigating is the weird roster rules and contract rules that she would not have had to worry about with coaching the national team. That's a big learning curve. Mark Parsons and his presser was asked whether he was going to stick around and help out with the draft. He said, no, I'm not going to. And then he lists a couple of reasons, starting with he didn't want to. Moving on to he couldn't because he had to go to the Netherlands and get busy on his, his new job. Ending up with that they have built up a system of finding draft picks over the years, and they have refined it to the point that he says he believes it's far superior to anything any other team in the league does, much much more detailed. Gunny and Anger are helping him. When he first came in, he did it himself personally. He drove to college games and watched stuff on TV and, and did it himself with no real process. And they have institutionalized it now and have built up a huge database. All that skill and talent is there. All that data is there. It's just waiting for the new coach. He didn't say that. But the other thing I think, too, is that the uh, the rules part of this stuff is Karina's problem. She's the one who has to deal with that stuff. That's what I meant is not just RW, but the whole management team. They got to start running hard to get up to speed. They sure do. They haven't made this announcement official yet, so I don't know. 
when that'll be done, but there's no reason for them to wait any longer unless it's unless these are unfounded rumors. <laughs> it's the Thorns front office, which means they'll make the announcement sometime late in December. <laughs> the sources told Meg Linehan the announcement would be made after the end of the NWSL postseason. I predict that Tuesday after the final, because for some reason Tuesday sticks in my mind as the day that they make announcements back when they would tease about it, that's when they'll announce her and they'll have a press conference and the whole big deal. So we'll see. So we have some listener questions. The first one is from Tony. Hi, Tony. No disrespect to the cast of players who have played at the 6, 8, and 10 this year, but we seem to be largely incapable of possessing the ball through the mid when Harand is not on the pitch. How does the new coach address that and with what personnel going forward? Richard made the point that you know one of the problems that we had against Chicago was that we didn't have that steady presence in midfield of Haran, who has the ability to possess and distribute. We do tend to not be able to string passes together. I don't know what you do. I mean, if you don't have her, I mean, she's a player of her caliber. It's harder to play. Yeah, I'd say she's maybe the, in the top three in the world. I, if you rank her with Sam Mewis and Tabinia and say those are maybe the three best attacking midfielders literally in the world and say, well, what do you do if you don't have her? Uh, you suck. I mean, there's no getting around it. I don't see a like for like, you know, I mean, there's literally nobody on this roster that I could say, oh, yeah, you know, we'll just, you know, we'll stick Kelly Hudley in there. And we'll be fine. Yeah, no, that, that's not going to happen. I think we could say to Tony's questions, if we can't get somebody good, you can't get a Sam Mewis or Dabinia to come here, then we have to change our style of play to rely less on the midfield, which means we have to play a much wider game and maybe play two defensive mids and no attacking mid, maybe. I mean, there are ways to do it, but you end up with kind of weird formations like Christmas trees and things. As you were talking, I was saying, well, you know, Dunn's in that area. Oh, wait. Yeah, another little piece of news that came out this week. I'm happy for her. I mean, that's just wonderful. I hope everything goes well. We still have a problem because we spent an entire year with her. Well, I mean, an entire year less the last couple of games. I honestly think had no idea what to do with her. I don't think she was used well. And, and I'm not sure whether it was just because Coach Parsons had a different idea and she wouldn't do it or Coach Parsons didn't have an idea or between the two of them, they had the wrong idea. But that's one of the big things that RW is going to have to do. I'm going to bet that Dunn is going to play her way back to fitness by sometime around maybe midsummer. And so she's going to be reintroduced into a lineup that's already set. And we got to figure out how to use her. It might not be this summer. It might not be until next year. She is married to someone who knows how to, I mean, he is the trainer, right? He knows fitness, that's for sure. So, yeah. You know, you look at somebody like Morgan, who's just like a, a fitness fanatic. It took her longer than she thought it was going to, though. Oh, that's true. The next question is from Linda. Hi, Linda. Hello, Linda. Why can't we score with all the chances we have? And that kind of goes in with the... Next question from Amy. Hi, Amy. Hello, Amy. What type of formation do you think would play to our player strengths? 
specifically, I think our defense is solid, but our midfield fails, falls apart without Haran. Well, again, Haran. And our offense lacks a plan and precision. I feel like we need a clinical true number nine who isn't a rookie. Smith and Weaver both seem to be better as goal scoring wingers. Can Marpar put a bug in Mitama's ear? We fall apart in the final third. So these three questions all go together, don't they? You know, you talked about a formation change. To Amy's question, Smith is not a rookie anymore, and next year she'll be less of a rookie. I don't know that there are a lot of Sam Kerr's just sitting around unemployed out there to pick up or even employable for the money we could spend. The clinical finishers are just few and far between. I think we might be better off to just continue to try to grow our own and have some patience with her. That said, she has got to start converting. I mean, it's just that simple. I mean, I don't know if she needs to do one of these Japanese baseball things where they line up a thousand soccer balls on the field and she shoots a thousand times until her legs fall off. She's below 10%. Weaver's worse. Weaver's conversion, 4%. I don't care if you're a winger, a, a number nine, you got to be able to convert more than that. The first part of Amy's question is, what type of formation would do you think would play to our players' strengths? So what are our players' strengths? Not scoring, obviously. Right. Depends on the player, of course, but speed is one, right? So we definitely have a quickness about the front of the team. When Haran's around, it's hard to dispossess her, but it's also hard to rattle her. She can find the pass, and actually Sinclair can do that too. And then we've got a real solid defense. The problem with Sink is she's gotten to the point where you can time her with a sundial. That's one of the issues that good GW is going to have to deal with. I think one of the first things RW needs to do is sit down with her and convince her that she either needs to come off the bench or if she can't stomach that, maybe it's time to hang them up. I mean, she looked gassed on Sunday. She really did. I mean, that was one of the first games I've seen where she didn't look like remotely threatening. There was no moment that she looked like she was going to make anything happen. And that's just, that's just sad. I don't want to see that. You know, she's a great player. We should remember her for greatness, not for trying to drag her ass around the field at the age of 36, 37, 38, however old she is now. That's going to be a difficult one for uh, the good Wilkinson to deal with because they were teammates basically the same generation. We'll just have to see how that shakes out. RW, she's 39. She's only 39. You know, it was just after the Olympics. They have won the bronze. She said, now is not the time for me to, to decide. She said, but it's probably time for me to retire. She's been there, done that. It's honestly, that's one twenty-fourth of our team. Now, in terms of impact, okay, it's two twenty-fourths of our team, but it's still not the whole team. So regardless of what Sink does and regardless of where she plays, if she ends up staying and doing everything she's doing and nothing changes, then we're going to basically have to play around her. And that would mean we have to adjust our pace to hers. Well, not necessarily, but it means maybe that she is parked at the midfield circle and just stays there the whole game, basically and moving back and forth between their box and the midfield and not going back into a defensive position. I don't think uh, that she would be a very good defensive midfielder. Like you just need a certain amount of guile and, and toughness. <laughs> That's the wrong word. Quickness. What you're talking about is the Michelle Akers move, which is what the U.S. national team did with Akers when Seafed slowed her down. They moved, pulled her back to the midfield, made her a midfield destroyer. 
And the thing that made that was that she turned out to, <laughs> turned out to have the kind of destructive attitude that enjoyed tackling people and you know tearing their ACLs. And I don't see Sinclair sharing that. Well, and frankly, we've got a perfectly adequate six. We've got Salem. I mean, provided we can protect her. And again, if we lose Haran, maybe we need double sixes. So maybe maybe Sinclair moves back there. But then all of a sudden you're talking about a completely different team. I don't know. I think it's time to at least have the discussion about possibly making moving to the post-Sinclair era. But we'll see. Another thing, the place where you can take advantage of being fast is by playing a very wide game. Now, I can imagine playing, for example, maybe Smith and Weaver, like on the touch lines as wingers who never even come in the box, basically. Uh, come down the very, very outsides of the field, try to beat the defender to the goal line and put in a cross and just do that over and over and over again. It gets a little tedious after a while to watch, but if they're doing it well, it's good. And it also wears out a defense. I mean, this is also how you would have gone about beating Chicago, I think, the same exact way to just use the speed after a while of forcing Sarah Gordon and Tuna Davidson to run out to the sidelines over and over and over again. Uh, they're going to get tired of it, and maybe you can get around them a time or two. The other thing about a well-placed, hard-hit cross is that it's very hard to defend, and it can lead to really kind of easy-looking goals. I mean. They aren't easy, but they look easy because they're more or less tap-ins. It helps to have a target forward, though. And right now, we don't have that. Right, exactly. Exactly. So that's that's the thing that we would be lacking in that. Now, it's possible that you could adapt someone to be that. Right? Unless, we, unless we wanted to park Sinclair up front. She's tall enough. Yeah, she's tall. She's strong. That was a whole Abby Wambach era of the women's national team. Wambach probably ran about 300 yards in the whole game. But basically, she was always there right around the penalty spot when that cross came whipping in to just nail it with her head and park it into the lower corner. I have a question for you. Sophia Smith spends a lot of time on the ball. What if her job is be in the middle ready for that ball when it's crossed rather than trying to move it up the pitch herself? Typically, that is a target forward. And typically, that forward is a big, strong, I mean, it's, more a weaver type forward than a smith type forward Quika? that's not out of the realms of possibility i've been sitting here trying to think about who else on the team could step in there natalia Quika is the target forward yeah she could do it big strong thin she's a possibility hubley's a possibility we're kind of getting out there a little ways you know we got a whole off season to think about things like this and a new coach who maybe isn't quite as uh, petrified in her approach to the uh, roster as as Parsons had become. I got to believe that Parsons may have not wanted Sinclair to be dominating at the end of the season like this, that dominating the time, I mean. But I have a feeling there may have been literally no choice in his mind anyway. He, there was nothing he could do about it. Even if the team lost, it was more important that she play 90 minutes than that the team win the game. That is not a very pragmatic way to approach things. <laughs> he's built this team. He knows these people. He's not willing to destroy somebody to win one more trophy. It's not worth it to him. And I don't know that it ever was worth it to him to do that, you know, that he would mess with a player's uh, personal objectives to benefit the team's objectives. Now, maybe he should have do that a little bit, but I don't, it just doesn't seem like he does. And in this case in particular. I think he more or less said that in his 
outgoing interviews after the game in terms of that it wasn't about the results so much as the connections that the team makes with each other and the support that they show each other. And I'm torn about that because he might have been the right coach for this time in terms of supporting the players going through everything that they went through this season. And hopefully, you know, things only improve. Now, I know that's very optimistic, but it seems like we're on the right track. And now we need a coach who can take that team that that is so connected to each other and help them get more tactical, bring the, you know, the, the pragmatism that they need, that kind of thing. Makes sense to me. I feel the same way, I think hoping anyway that we see a change in approach any professional sports team any business any any organization has a mission that is the defining factor of why we're here why we why we put up with each other we have a mission and in the case of the thorns the mission is win games and then the next mission after that is to serve the community and and make money and all that stuff but the primary driving mission is to win games that doesn't mean that we want to become inhuman treat each other badly just to reach the objectives. You know, it's not a cult. We're not going to drink Kool-Aid together. But it's also not just a feel-good club where we're all there to read books and knit together either. There's a mission there. There's a balance somewhere there. To your point, Jeanette, Parsons was the right guy for the time to build that camaraderie in the team, I think, and, and get through the hard, well, not that there won't be more hard times in the future, but to get through these hard times anyway. But now the pendulum needs to come back a little bit the other way, focusing on why we're here. That was why I wanted to see new blood, why I didn't want to see Gunny take his place. Any organization that has the same faces year after year can get stale after a while. I think the good Wilkinson is a, is a good move. I think this is going to open some windows, some circulation moving around, and, and hopefully it's going to shake up the team in some good ways. coming Saturday at nine o'clock Pacific. It will be shown on what Richard and I like to refer to as full blood CBS. So you'll be able to pick it out of the air. Yeah, big CBS. Wow. Big CBS. That's why it's at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Well, noon, noon their time. Noon their time. It'll be between Washington Spirit and the Chicago Red Stars. Who are you liking for that game? Who do you think is going to walk away with that prize? I'll go first. Half of me thinks Washington is a run and gun, score a lot team. And Chicago is a play defense to stifle you to death team. Thing is, I don't know that Washington will be confident enough at the coaching level anyway, maybe confident enough to think that they can just run over the Red Stars. And therefore, they may sort of want to play a bit of a bunker and counterattack style which leaves us two teams doing the same thing, which leaves us with a 0-0 or 1-1 draw and extended overtime and PKs. At that point, it's a crapshoot. Who's the better goalkeeper, Miller or Bledsoe? Bledsoe is a better goalkeeper there. 
Oh, Washington wins it on PKs, one-to-one. It's going to go to penalties, and it's going to be Bledsoe because Bledsoe is a better keeper. I don't know if it's going to be low-scoring penalties, high-scoring penalties, but I'm more inclined to buy your analysis, Richard, and, and I, I think it's they're going to be both cagey. You know, that's the unfortunate part about big-game knockouts is a lot of times the teams will come in and then play not to lose rather than to win. And, well, which is, you know, kind of – understandable. I mean, you know, you don't want to be accused of being the idiot who threw away your chances. It can make for a really dire, (laughs) dire game. And I suspect with the coaching staff's insecurities about their own team's quality is amplified in this environment. It's a one and done deal, right? Everything that we know our weaknesses, and that's all we ever think about is our weaknesses. And so we progressively feel weaker and weaker as we move through a tournament like this. Both teams probably feel that way. Yeah, so watch. So now I say that and it'll be six to six to nothing. Well, that's all the time we have. Let's sign off. That's Richard Hamjes. Thanks for the great season. It's been a lot of fun. Enjoyed doing the prediction game too. And we have our winners. I guess I could make a real quick announcement that Constant Weeder has won after a very consistent performance all season long. And Roses has won the Middle of the Pack Award. The article is posted with your uh, prize information. Congratulations to you two. And I really hope we have a chance to do all this again in March or April. I've had a lot of fun this year. I would have liked to have been able to cheer for our team in the final, but sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes it rains. So for me, in a little bit, the podcast, We'll see you next year. And I'm Jeanette Hamji. Thank you for listening. This has been Riveting, a Portland Thorns podcast. We're going to have to decide whether this is truly the last podcast of the year or if we want to... Reconvene sometime maybe in January after the expansion and the NCAA. We'll try one more in between there, like when our list gets released on the 10th. Because uh, then the, the, the thing is on the 16th and then the other drafts on the 18th. So by the 10th, that's maybe enough that we did it on the 10th. <laughs>